you take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of John, John 15. John 15, as we take up the last of Jesus' I am statements, I am the true vine, and picking up at the language that is found in Lord's Day 7, which will open up. And I think then that we are right back on track in terms of the pastor being able to teach catechism in sequence. And so thank you for your patience in those things, Um, but we're thankful to the Lord for those ways in which we hear those, those words that we memorize, that our children memorize. These are from the scriptures, and they are telling us then and directing us to those truths as we consider a story of faith this evening. So let's hear these words, John 15, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my works abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed to you, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Again, let's turn to that summary of that scriptural teaching in the Lord's Day 7. It's found on page 875 on the back pages of the Trinity Psalter. Eight seventy-five, and for uh, time considerations this evening, I will not read the whole of the Apostles' Creed. We know, and confessing it this morning, in the Nicene Creed, this is what we are to believe: that teaching, all that's promised in the gospel. But let's hear questions twenty, twenty-one, and twenty-two. Question twenty: Are all people then saved through Christ, just as they were lost through Adam? No, only those are saved who, through true faith, are grafted into Christ and accept all His benefits. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word, it is also a wholehearted trust, which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel that God has freely granted not only to others but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace only because of Christ's merit. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel a summary of which is taught us in the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. Thus far, 
our confession. Our Lord and Heavenly Fathers, you bring us tonight before, again, familiar words, not only in your word, but also in our confession. Father, we hear that word abide, Lord, and it, it works in us all kinds of thoughts and understanding of, of what it is to be near to you, of what it is to receive from you, Father, of what it is to be in relationship with you. And yet we recognize that this word meets us in, in various places, that some feel and, and are experiencing, Lord, a, a dear and deep closeness to you. Others seem distant, far, knowing that you have not gone anywhere, and yet our hearts, Lord, are far from you. And Lord, there's a spectrum of folks all through that middle stage of what that is and isn't. But Father, what you call us to in the Scriptures and what you've called us to in the Confession is a clear understanding of what faith is and how it's to operate and what it's to bring forth. And so, Lord, may this then be proper corrective, proper exemplar, Father, a proper map for us, as it were, of, Lord, continuing to return to you in repentance and in faith, but also, Lord, to living a life that is dependent upon your grace. And so, Lord, would you meet us where we are, but not leave us there? And may you be at work in us by your Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, if we're faithfully sharing that gospel story, that wonderful good news of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will use it in his time and in his way to bring people to the end of themselves. And so we won't be able to make that happen, but there will be that time, we pray, by God's grace, that they'll know their sin and misery, they'll know their need to be delivered, and their inability to save themselves. And we pray that the Lord in that moment then brings them back to us, to the opportunity in that moment to proclaim the wonder of the gospel. Because that's the privilege that is ours to speak about what Jesus has done to satisfy the Father's wrath to save us. It's a privilege to tell the story of grace alone in Christ alone to God's glory alone. But how does one receive it? They've come to know who they are. Here's all this blessing and this truth and this goodness of gospel, but how do we get there? How do we receive it? Well, children, when we're given food, how do we receive it? I mean, we've, we've all seen babies that want nothing to do with those peas that look a little bit off color, right? They jam their mouth shut. They will not receive it. So no, to receive and take in what Christ has given, we open ourselves. We open our mouths to receive and taste that he's good. When a ball is thrown, we extend our stick or our hands or our glove. When we're given a gift, we reach out for it. And in beginning the story that way, now someone comes who's been made to know sin and misery and guilt and inability, but I can't. I can't reach out to take that. I'm dead in trespasses and sins. There's no way for me to reach out or take anything that has been done for my salvation. And that's the thing I need most. That's the thing they, that we need most. And so we must be enabled to receive and need a means to receive all 
that can be possessed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that means can only be faith alone. That is what we share. What is the instrument? What's the vessel? What's the conduit? What is that way? Faith alone. A gift of grace alone. As we are brought into Christ, granted the blessing of receiving all that He's done to satisfy the Father's justice and plan, faith is the gift. Granted in the hearing of His Word that the Spirit uses to apply all that has been accomplished for us. That simply put, faith enables us to believe and have life and the benefits only possessed in Him. That in question 61, to look ahead in the catechism, we're asked, Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith, for only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, none of this can be ours. And so the story we share to those helpless and hopeless has to be one holy and only of faith. Faith is gift, conduit of blessing, that the gospel would be believed, that it would be lived out in union with Him and in love for a one and only faithful Savior. And so ours is the calling to share a story of life and love in Christ, received and worked by faith alone. And in John 15, Jesus magnifies that at large. What does that life look like in union and communion with Him? That as we abide, as we remain, what needs to flow forth from us? And so in John 15, that truth is of faith abiding and accepting unto life in Christ. And that we see in the first eight verses. And then a faith active and appointed unto love in Christ. So here's that which we receive in Christ in the first point, and now here's how it's worked out. Here's how it's manifest in that life that is active and appointed unto love. But in the first place, it is one abiding and accepting unto life in Christ. And that is the first word to that person who comes in that helplessness and hopelessness is already balm for woe. Are you telling me there's a way of life? That there is a possibility of such a blessing of life in Christ? Yes, there is. What a blessing to speak to those dead and trespasses and sins that there's a possibility of life. But there is no life outside of Christ. That if we were to say anything or even to say Christ and something, there is still no life for those who hear. No, there is no life outside of Christ, outside of the care of a loving, faithful Father. So that in this last I am statement, Jesus is already saying, even in saying who he is and the Father is, the necessity of living in union and communion with him. I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. 
It's a statement that certainly makes plain that He is God, that He has come by the Father, sent to care for His people, His branches. It's a description already in Psalm 80. It's found in Isaiah 5. But oftentimes it, it resolves in what? My people are broken. My people are sinful. Look at this vine. They, they don't abide in it. The vine's been cut down. It's been burned. But Jesus speaks a better way. I am the vine. There is only life found remaining and abiding in me. And we do that by faith alone. That is the way that we come into him. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. So the problem is not with him, it's with us. We are not taking in and receiving that which is given. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Literally, he washes, he cares for, that it might bear more. So it's not just I'm a dud branch, I'm a dead branch. I refuse to take in the nourishment, as rebellious as that little one in the high chair. But for the other, I will care that you will bear more fruit. There isn't a baseline level of fruit. Oh, I've already arrived in my 30s or 40s or 50s. No, I'm going to continue my work in you that you would bear more. For it is that faith that distinguishes those who believe from those who do not. That faith that we share comes by way of the hearing of the word. Verse 3, already you are clean, hear it, because of the word I have spoken to you. Not because of anything you have done, not because of anything you will do, because of the word. The word of my work, the word of my promise, and as the one speaking this word, the word made flesh before you. The word is the way we're given faith. It's why we call preaching a means of grace. It's why bringing unbelievers to church is so important. It's why overly or hypercritical understandings of preaching and what comes and what we like are so unhelpful, need we say sinful. This is what God has spoken to us. This is what He's prepared. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is the means to receive all of Christ's benefits. Faith in hearing is that which God is working in us that we would be more productive and more fruitful, not less. And certainly not petulant in unwillingness to receive it. And so if by the preaching of the good news of Jesus we've been brought into faith in Christ, which has awakened us to the wonder of our new life in Him, what are we now called to? And it's interesting in looking in Christ's words is that He's basically simply saying, live in me. Live. To life in Christ. To live what's found in union and communion with a Lord and a Savior. In the faith graciously given, given all He says is, Abide, continue, remain, persevere. Verse 4, abide in me and linked, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's his word of comfort. 
We abide in one. That's his call. In this faith that I give you and what you're going to take in from me, I want you to abide and remain and persevere, but there's that and. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you to figure it out on your own. And so that should work in us, not an apathy, not a resistance, no, a a desire. I want to draw closer. I want to remain more fruitfully. In fact, it's the only way our lives can be productive in bringing Him all praise and glory for our salvation. That such abiding is a testimony that He's abiding in us. And such fruit born out of such abiding assures us that we're remaining in Him. But that means the flip side as well. That there's no life, there's no salvation, there's no blessing, there's no fruit to be found outside of Christ. Don't propagate that kind of lie. And yet, what do we also acknowledge? That not everyone is given faith to believe. Already here, Jesus is making it plain. He's making a call, but what does he also say? I mean, to abide in Christ means we're saved. Faith that is living and active. But are all people saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? No, only those who are are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ. But there's an and here too. And accept all his benefits. So to be given true faith is to live life in Jesus, grafted in him to receive all his blessings of righteousness and grace, that you would live a life, live that life actively of abiding and remaining. It's active. This isn't some passive thing like the baby in your arm who's just taking the bottle as though they're just doing the thing. No, there's activity. I want that. I long for it. I want more of it. It's not a passive life. No, we are called to action in thanks for those benefits. To actively accept Christ and his blessing in thanksgiving, in praise. In glory, called to action and thanks for those benefits in accepting Christ and His blessing. And so he reiterates, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, not maybe, not could be, he it is that bears much fruit. And before we get to that point of saying, hey, look at the miracle girl working in me. I got more fruit and bigger fruit than you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So even what's done in you, that activity that you give yourself to is not yours. It's not work, your work. It's not your credit. It's not your praise. It's his. 
We're to take in what he gives. Not enough simply to say we're in Christ, but to be actively in Christ. And fruit will be born from that kind of life. But is my life bearing fruit? Like that's a huge diagnostic question. I say it. I say I'm in union with Christ. I say that I'm a Christian. I say that I'm a member of that church. Does what come out of, comes out of my mouth say I abide in Christ? Is the activity of my life coming out saying I abide in Christ? Nourished in Christ. Full of His grace. Is my life bearing fruit? Does my life testify to an active faith in Christ Jesus my Lord? Does my life give witness of His grace and His work and His word? Am I truly abiding? Have I truly accepted the grace of Christ by faith alone? Because if a life, if your life gives no testimony to that, gives no testimony of fruit born in keeping with repentance, if there is nothing sweet of a relationship with a Lord and Savior, that one is deceived. Am I abiding? Ask yourself, am I abiding? Because if we are not honest about that question, if we are not truly giving ourselves to Christ in union with Him, There's judgment. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But again, what does it say? A branch in me that isn't receiving. I've given you promises. I've brought you to myself. I've talked to you in my word, in my gospel, in my good news. And you're like, nope. Mm -mm." Gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. There is judgment that comes of that deception. Well, I've always gone to that church. I was raised in a Christian home. I'm a child of a covenant. Is my life in Christ one of abiding and accepting by faith alone? And is it evident? For if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why? Because your life will be so wrapped up in Christ, desiring what he desires, receiving what is best, accepting what comes from his gracious hand, living to the thanks and praise of the glory of God for the life he's poured into you by his word and Holy Spirit, that what will come out of your mouth and out of your mind and out of your heart and out of your life is Christ. And the Father will deny his Son no good thing. By this, my Father is glorified. It speaks to that activity. That what? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's what you've been redeemed for. That's what you've been renewed for. Bear much fruit. Prove to be my disciples. Show it. Manifest it. That's why grace and faith are given. To the glory of God alone. To His praise. 
to his being made known. So is my faith shown in bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Is it shown in good deeds, not as the basis of my assurance, but rather the gracious proof of it? Or simply put, is the faith I've been given continuing to work a desire to show forth his praise and becoming step by step and day by day a fuller and more impassioned disciple of Jesus. That's what abiding and accepting faith works. By God's grace. By His goodness. So we need to pray for that. That we would pray more ardently for that as we come to greater thanks for the union and communion and life with Christ that is ours by grace. And then we pray for that manifestation, that bearing of fruit in that proven aspect of being his disciples in a life filled more fully with his love. And that in the second place, because ultimately love should be the greatest response of faith. Love for God, certainly, but also love for neighbor. Love is the exercise of faith. The way the world will know that we are Christians in union with Christ. We will love. And we love because Christ first loved us. The Father has always loved the Son. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me. Think about what's being said there. The most perfect love. In the wonder of the relationship between the eternal Father and the eternal Son. So have I loved you. How deep the Father's love, how deep the Son's love for us. And so in that way, Christ has always loved his own. And so again, what does that call us to? The repetition. Abide in my love. You know the quality of it. You know the character of it. You know the lasting nature of it. So remain there. And keep doing that actively, continually, for that is a life of faith which will work itself out in love. And that's the beauty of hearing that definition tonight of what is true faith. True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold is true, all that God has revealed to us in his word. This mental ascent thing that too many reformed people do with nothing that migrates about this many inches down. We want this. We have this. We need this. But it's also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel that God has freely granted not only to others, but to me also forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace. Only because of Christ's merits. One who loves us not because of anything we've done, but solely of his good pleasure in what Christ has done. That in thanks for that, in thanks for his love, in seeking to abide in him, we give ourselves by faith alone, hear this, How is it going to be seen? 
How's it going to be known? We'll use love as the general umbrella, but what's the word that we drive at again tonight? Obedience. Obedience. It's the tragedy of hearing so many people claim his love, yet having no desire or concept of obedience. They have no faith working out of them, no sign of assurance in them, no testimony that they love the Lord more than they love their sin. That isn't life in Christ. No, a life of abiding in the love of Christ looks like Christ. Does that word come out of my mouth? Can I say it and write at the end in Jesus' name? Has this activity that I've given myself to, in whatever way it is, can I do this and speak at the end to the glory of God alone? It looks like Jesus. As he abided in the Father's love in wholehearted obedience, so we abide in the love of Christ by actively living and loving obedience. That's his calling, giving faith. What's it given for? Bear fruit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Your love will be like his. And that's a life of joy and blessing. For the joy set before him, he endured. For the blessing of having a people in that inheritance, he endured. Joy and blessing. That's what we receive in the love of Jesus. Joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the object of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That's Jesus' promise to those who remain in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the way. That's the life will have fullness of joy. But you're like, I don't. And brother or sister, I can raise my hand with you far often, far too often. So much so that I'm ashamed even to say it. We will have fullness of joy. And if we don't, it's a key question to ask our faith. Does my faith cling to Christ in obedience and joy and love? And if it doesn't, and again, this is not condemnation of you and you only. If joy isn't a word that describes your walk in life now, examine in whom your faith is found and what is truly the love of your heart. Because if it's not the Lord, there will be no joy. Maybe some happiness. Maybe a little bit of that opiate for a time. But it won't be joy. There's no joy apart from abiding in Christ. There's no joy from actively receiving the love of Christ. There's no joy when we're not living out and serving others in the obedience of the love of Christ. And so if that's where you're found, and we are all found there from time to time, 
then heed his call. Abide in him. Give yourself to him and to his call upon you. Be active by faith. Because again, hear that. You're not called to save yourself. You're called to praise him for the salvation he's worked by grace alone through faith alone. You simply abide in him by actively loving as the exercise of the gift he's given you. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And you're like, yeah, but I, I, I can't meet that standard. How does Jesus love? He holds nothing back. He sacrifices everything. He empties himself of all but love. He submits in every perfect way to the Father's plan to save his chosen. He gives all his life, all his righteousness. And you're like, I can't measure up to that. And he says, you don't have to because I did. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus is at complete satisfaction. Don't forget that from this morning. And so he calls you simply to what? Thanks and obedience. Gratitude. That's the call. To be a living sacrifice of love. And in the promise of Christ, in the promise of that word, that's where you'll find joy in the love of Jesus. That's where you will find joy in loving others with the love of Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In sacrifice and loving service, there will be joy, for your faith will be actively and impassionately exercising. And yet, how much greater the love of Jesus. Yeah, we lay down our life for our friends, for those who love us. But Jesus did more. Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, enemies, haters of God, Christ died for us. That it is another testimony that by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone, alone, we're called his friends, we're called his family, we're called his own special possession, we're called to a life active in him, in love, blessed in relationship, in union with him. For you are my friends if, if you do what I command you. It's a pretty hard if. If you do what I command you. And yet the extension of that comes in verse 15 in an awesome way. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what's coming. You know the end. You know all that he requires of you. You know it. You've been made to know that in the gift of faith. 
Yes, we're servants bought at a price, but we're more. We've been given promises and faith to believe and assurance to know what his love will work now and forever. We know what's been afforded. We know what's being prepared. We know what's kept in heaven for us. All we have and know in union with him is love and promise and thanksgiving and joy. Is that not enough to actively respond in love? Has he not done enough? Has he not appointed enough for us in Christ's love that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance by faith? It's our sacrifice of self, our sacrifice of praise and thanks and glory because he has done enough. He's done more than enough. Why, verse 16, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, that that should remain. Not you, your fruit. Not you, the blessing of Christ and his love. Service that will go well beyond the time in which you get to see its impact. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Your life is about his will and his choosing, his plan, his gift, his grace, his glory. You've been chosen and set apart to go out into the world and to make him known. To go out into the world and serve his will. To bear fruit that lasts. Because it's about making him known. And making his love known. And it points ahead to the day where he's going to make all things new in redeeming love. Hear it, brothers and sisters. We have all things in the life and love of Christ by his gift of faith alone. So as he has loved you more than enough, Our faith should drive us to love one another according to his command. Verse 17, these things I command you with a purpose, a direction that you will love one another. Which means, congregation, that we're to be ever active and vigilant as those appointed by God to grace and life in Jesus to lives of joy and peace in believing. That as in love we make Christ known, again, his life and his love and all that we speak and all that we live, that's a life that will make plain the wonder of how great a salvation, of how great a Savior we really have been given. Does your life speak to that? Is your life captivated by that? Is it consumed by that? Does your life give testimony actively, joyfully of the love of Jesus Christ? Your greatest joy found in him, known in serving him. A life speaking plainly that you've been appointed and set apart to loving him and loving others as you speak and live the truth of the gospel. That's a life of faith. That's a story of a life worth listening to. 
Because it won't say anything about you, but it will say something about him. And so in the faith that he's given, in the love he's poured out, in the grace he's secured, what are we to make known? What's that story going to be about? How, what, is that, what is that response going to be? We make known what we believe, what we know, what we live, what our assurance is in, where our hope is found. In such a life of love, we make known all that is promised us in the gospel, and it brings us back to where we started. Have you received all he's promised by faith alone? Have you surrendered your life to his call in the love and grace that he gives? Does your life of love give a vibrant testimony of assurance and joy? That's the benefit and blessing of a life found in Christ, in union with Christ, not having a righteousness of our own. The blessing and benefit of a love that's active and appointed by a loving and faithful Savior. So let's tell that story. Let's live that story. That the Lord would be praised as those living abiding in and accepting every blessing in Christ as those active and appointed to the exercise of his love. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the wonder of that faith and what it works and how it operates. And so, Lord, we thank you that you abide with us and call us to abide in your love. That, Father, you have called us into union with Christ and that he is with us, and if he is with us, then he is for us. Thank you, Father, for the work of your Holy Spirit in using that faith to apply every benefit in Christ that we possess. Father, may that love then, may that faith be active in us, faith working itself out in love. And Father, as we understand that appointment, why this blessing has been given to us, all of that blessing, immense, innumerable blessings, Father, we pray, might others know that we are Christians in the joy that we live, in the love that we live, in the testimony of the love of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.